0: Welcome everybody to the first edition of the Social Thinker Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew, and today we spoke with Sabat uh, about a variety of different issues, uh, ranging from uh, sexism in society uh, to men' paternal versus maternal court cases, uh, even touched on uh, what we define as third culture children, which was a very interesting conversation. So I'd like to take a big thank you uh, for her taking the time out to speak with me today. And, um, yeah, this is my first time, my first ever podcast, as I previously said. So, you know, the editing's a little bit raw. Uh, I've got new microphones and new software um, coming next week. So, I mean, let's hope this next podcast that we do is um is going to sound a lot better. But, yeah, I appreciate the support everyone's already given me. And, um, yeah, this is a new medium that I'm exploring. And I hope you all enjoy it. I mean, if there's any feedback that you have, definitely feel free to leave it in the comments. Um, send me messages. Um, you know leave messages on my patreon and you know while I'm there shamelessly plugging myself uh, Please feel free to uh, check out my website as well because I have a lot of investigative articles uh, and blog posts coming up every week um, All right, so without further ado, let's get started. Uh, I hope you all enjoy.
1: Hi Andrew Thank you so much for having me as your first um, guest. Um, I'm pretty excited. <laughs> okay, so my name is Sabat um, I've been Living in Australia for about five years now, and um, obviously I work; otherwise, I wouldn't be able to pay my bills. Um, I and I have a little daughter. Nice, nice. And I like cats, so I think that's very important.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's a big differential between cat people and dog people. Um, Not playing, (laughs) one is better, of course. Um, okay, so, yeah. Um, yeah, beforehand, I mean, I mean, what, what was your situation like between, obviously, uh, Australia and, and you mentioned maybe five years? So, I mean, just touch base on that, uh, where you were previously, the listeners.
1: Um, previously, I think I spent majority of my life in Malaysia. I was in Malaysia for about 17 years. Um, pretty much grew up there. That was home for me. Um, it's still I I would say to a certain extent it is still home for me. Um, did all my schooling there and everything. I have a very, very special attachment um to Malaysia. Um after that I was uh, in Canada for a bit and I was in the Middle East for a bit. Um and then finally, uh just to finish some qualifications and stuff like that, I came back to Australia.
0: Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, that's that's uh There's a lot of different countries you covered there. Uh, How how was, because obviously it's going to be quite different going from Malaysia to Canada. So, I mean, how did you really cope with that culture shock and and living such different values?
1: Look, um, I I don't associate with the term of cultural shock. I've never had a cultural shock in my life. Um, And this kind of, I think, comes from the fact that you see i'm I'm not I'm not Australian, I'm not Malaysian. I'm originally I was born in Bangladesh. I my parents are from Bangladesh and we still carry a lot of Bangladeshi culture in our um, in our lives and stuff like that right, yeah. so I'm a Bangladeshi by by origin, you could say but yeah. I've lived in a few places. so people like me that are not here or there were actually called third culture kids tck
0: right
1: and so it's a very interesting concept um tck because we don't really fit in back at home because we've never really lived back at home but we also don't really fit into the society that we live in so it kind of this in between these, these misfits and stuff like that, that sort of hang around on the sides and everything and pretend to, pretend to join in, in, in the fun. Yeah. But
0: yeah.
1: we don't really fit in. We're kind of like gypsies.
0: Yeah, yeah, I completely get that. Do you think that that's helped shape you into the person you are today? Do you think that's had a big difference uh, on you or is it just something you're um, really uh, associated with? As
1: yeah, you know? so, yeah, definitely. So, um, like, as I was saying that, I I don't have a cultural shock because being, you know, living in so many different cultures and stuff like that, I've come to realize that, like, I think that's shaped me in the sense that that has made me really accepting and really tolerable to people's differences and stuff to the point where I don't actually notice that there is a difference between you and me. I view you as a person as as um as basically as a, a person that's part of a society and stuff like that. I don't look at you I don't give you a stereotype. I don't put you in a box or anything. To me you're just a person. And being, you know, living in so many in different cultures and in multinational cultural environments and stuff that's... Um, that's what it's taught me. It's taught me acceptance. It's given it's given me a very wide um, view of the whole world. So it has its good parts. and And I loved that. I loved being in different cultures. and I honestly, I love being around people. Um, that's one of the good things about being in living in with so many different cultures that I love being around people. Um, I, I never actually felt like I need to be alone or anything. I mean, there is that, you know, that individualism and things like that. That's not what I'm saying right now, but I always want to be around people. I don't want to be by myself because that's the culture I grew up in. Mm. Um, I, I like learning about people. I like understanding people, why they do different things, different cultures, different, Things to me are just knowledge. They're not sort of an identification of a person. Um, It's just how you behave in changing circumstances. It's part of evolution or whatever it is, you may call it. But it doesn't define a person. We are at the end of the day a human being. And that's how I see it at the end, because... You come across so many different cultures, you don't have the time or the patience to go, okay, so-and-so is like this, so-and-so is like this, so-and-so is like this. At, at the end of it all, you're just like, you know what? You're all just human beings. It, it really does become tiring
0: to make an assumption of someone, especially with the sheer amount of people that you meet during the day and, and, and over the course of life. I mean, if we were to make an assumption based off each individual, you know, we'll be working so much on that. So yeah, I mean, it, it's great that you just see humans as exactly that, as humans you know, getting rid of their stereotypes. Yeah. Did you find um, between, yeah, uh, between different countries, that it was, you know, did you ever, were you ever faced in a situation where it was difficult to fit in, or, you know, you had a little bit of trouble when you first moved there? Like, was there any of that um, The people- All
1: the time, all the time. And I still face that, it's, it's, it's all the time, it's because, because you are you are different you know I like people who have grown up like this, you become a little bit different. you become a mix of everything For you to actually fit in into a piece like a puzzle, it sometimes gets really difficult because you don't share the same culture as another person because you've been everywhere you you've seen bits and pieces of everything well not everything but but yeah, quite a bit. You know quite a bit. I've seen how um, I've seen how Buddhists are. I've seen how Hindus are. I'm I'm Muslim, so I know how Muslims are. I've seen different races. I've seen different religions, and you become accepting of everything. And to be honest, it's sometimes really difficult to fit in, and that's one of the I would say it's a little bit of a disadvantage of being um, a third culture kid such a weird term Um, because I actually don't have any friends who I've known for years and years and years I hear people tell me stories about I've known so-and-so for 12 years he's been my best friend for 10 years and stuff like that I don't have those I everywhere I go I have to make new friends and it gets really lonely because once you come to a certain age you realize that you can't penetrate a clique. Because, you know, after a while, everybody forms their cliques and stuff like that. Um, It gets really difficult to fit into different places after a a certain point in time. Um, And, you know, it it does get a little bit lonely. So that's probably, I would say, the only disadvantage of it all. But despite that, I've enjoyed learning about different people. I've enjoyed being amongst different people. It was It was an amazing experience. Mm,
0: No, it sounds wonderful. And, I mean, how are you finding it in Australia now? I mean, you mentioned you've been here for five years. So, I mean, have you really grown that group of friends um, and and sort of gotten out of that aspect of, you know, constantly moving and shaping your life? Has it sort of been a little bit more settled nowadays?
1: No. um, Here and there, not really. Um, It gets really difficult. To do that. Um, and I think that's just a personal thing. That's yeah. just who I am.
0: Yeah. Um, do you think that stems from the fact that's, that you're that's so that's used a... to being on the move?
1: Sorry?
0: Do, do you think that stems from the fact that you're, you know, you're used to being on the move so much so it's sort of hard to, you know, take a chill pill and settle down in one country. You know, you're always looking towards the future as opposed to, you know, settling and looking more long term? Um, at the place that you're staying, is is, is it more that thing? Do you
1: think? No, no, not really, not at all. Because I think we've moved around so much in our lives that I want to actually now grow some roots. I right. want to actually form my own little, like my own little friend circle it's Something that I never really had. Yeah. I want to have a family. Yeah. I want to have my own community. Not my own community, like my own circle of friends. I want to grow some roots. I've moved so many times; it's not funny anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that, 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 that's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, that's not something that um, that we generally hear about a lot uh, with with the third third culture kids. I mean, Australia. Uh, I, I know we harp on about how multicultural we are, um, despite the, the shortcomings when it comes to racism in Australia. You know, I like to think we are very multicultural and, and accepting. Uh, regarding um you know people immigrating here and moving over here uh but yeah i mean it's funny i've I've never heard that term before tonight actually myself so i mean that's really interesting um to hear that experience so yeah wow wonderful um yeah so thanks for sharing that um yeah obviously this podcast is very much about you know breaking down barriers and breaking down um certain stereotypes and stigma and you know, I know it's a, a lot in the media, and it's hard to look past the biggest stereotype and stigma of all. Um, I think it comes into masculinity and femininity, and that's the issue of, of sexism. And that's the sort of discussion that we're uh, about to have today. So, uh, I know you wanted to make a few points about that, so um, it would be great if we just have a discussion on that.
1: Um, I strongly believe that sexism begins at home. Um. From the very beginning, we are taught that you're a girl, you're a boy. These are your duties. These are your duties and things like that. From the toys we play with, from even the colors, even cartoons and things like that, sexism began at home. Mm, And if sexism stops at home, I think sexism will stop everywhere. And we will, instead of looking at people like man, woman, you know, patriarchy, matriarchy, whatever it is and stuff like that we will actually start looking at people as human beings and we will start being like, let's treat everybody the same. Let's let's actually really practice equality. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean,
1: that being said, I do like it when a man opens the door for me. So I'm a little bit hypocritical, but I think cool. <laughs> all women are like that a little bit. So I do admit to that.
0: Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm in the same situation. I, I, I'm always about, you know, equal opportunity uh, and and, and all these things of course because I I find it difficult for one person to be like no I should be paid more or I should have different circumstances because I was born with a lesser chromosome it just doesn't make sense to me like ever since I was young but I myself always rush to pay the bill whenever I'm on a date or you know uh, open the door for a girl or, or, or try and carry the bags up the stairs so I mean it's not exactly I mean I'm sort of living up to the stereotype there but yeah, I mean, you, you touched on gender socialization is is, is the term in sociology, and 100 percent that happens from when we're very, very young. I mean, you just go look at even go before birth. Look at a uh, look at uh, gender reveal parties. I mean, blue if it's a boy, mm-hmm. pink if it's a girl. I mean, we're we're assuming inanimate things, colors, to gender roles mm-hmm. already before before the baby's already come out, and then as soon as the baby. Yeah born, obviously, you know, you see a newborn, if it's wearing pink, the girl, if it's wearing bl- blue or, 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 you know, darker, more masculine colors, you instantly know it's, 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 it's a boy. It's a boy. A boy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so straight away, um, we're assuming these roles. And then obviously, um, the education system, I don't think has become as advanced as it should be when it comes to gender socialization. Um, you know, I, I still think there's a lot of stories you know, where the women or the girls or the damsels in distress, so to speak. And I I still don't think there's enough strong, empowering female um, people in power when it comes to education. Uh, I still feel like being educated through, you know, the patriarchal society, um, I I still think that that's the major issue um, in in education. No,
1: I I don't think so. I don't think that patriarchy is... Patriarchy exists in a society, it it does, and it's in our very corners and stuff like that. And I don't know when we're going to get out of it, but I disagree with you. I don't think our society is completely, or whether it's the education system or whether it's anything, I don't think it's completely male-dominated. There are industries that's actually female-dominated, and because of that, men do suffer from it. For example, childcare industry right? Yeah. I, was talking yeah. to, I was talking to the director of the, child, of, of the child care center that my daughter used to go to. And she asked me one question. She said, would you entrust your six-month-old baby to a male carer for such a long period of time? Mm-hmm. And immediately, like I, I say these things, but you know what? I'm a hypocrite as well because immediately the first thing that comes into my head is pedophile what okay. if he's a pedophile really yeah <laughs> and that's that's not it does it does and it, it it does pretty much for everybody and i don't think that's fair because not all men are pedophiles yeah these uh, industries and, and, and these industries there are industries that are very very female dominated as well the court system the family law system is I, I, I don't really, it's, it's actually, I would say it's a very female biased system. It's controlled by women. It's biased towards women because we are growing up, we are still believing in the fact that there is no better parent other than the mother. Mm. And that's why a lot of fathers are actually missing out or being, you know, unfairly heard or injustice is being done to them because the women are being favored yeah we talk about equal parentage and stuff like and you know equal parentage equal rights and stuff and where where we have an entire justice system about families and stuff that is still very very biased towards women Mm. when you go for all these um you know all these court hearings or or um, what do you call them
0: um,
1: dispute resolutions. yeah dispute resolutions and family resolutions it's it's quite still female dominated so how are you going to get how you how are you going to get a person to understand both sides of the story if it's still female dominated and it's still mm. these women who go and 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 they ask for equality stuff in in corporate environments and stuff but you forget that there are also industries that exist that are still very female dominated um yeah. what's going to happen to people like that i mean what's what's going to happen to a society that actually or the men that have to go through um through these sort of situations do they not get any justice just because you know they're a man and they're not deemed to be um a, a, a proper parent is is there anything then, I mean,
0: you yourself uh, have studied, both international and Australian, or um, uh, I'm assuming, is there anything in the uh, in the law that, that deems the mothers is um, more legally no. responsible for, for no, the child?
1: No, there is actually,
0: or is it just up to the judge exactly to really? There is
1: nothing. Information? There is there is nothing nothing to say that the child is to go to the mother or the child is to go to the father. There is actually nothing in the Australian law that says that. The Australian law actually termed it very interestingly and said, you know, what is in the best interest of the child, and that phrase is completely and utterly discretionary. Well, if
0: subjective. you're in a
1: court, it's 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 completely subjective. If you're in a court that has let's say a a really elderly judge magistrate and who has who still carries you know values from 50 years ago and stuff he might actually rule in favor of of the woman because he believes that the woman is still the primary carer of the children or if you have a woman who's who's on who's on the on the panel Oh, sorry. Who's who's um, who's presiding over the case? She might actually go in favor of the woman again. Mm. You you don't know you don't know because it's such a it's such a subjective phrase. It depends literally entirely on the court. Mm. There is nothing to say who is who is the better parent or anything like that. There's no fair system to judge that. Yeah. Okay, this is who he is. This is who what she is this is where the child belongs, there's there's nothing. Injustice happens all the time.
0: Yeah, I mean, and do you think that they look at the, 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 the attachment that the child has to the mother who's obviously, if they're in the, the, the stereotypical gender roles of staying at home or looking after the kids, do you think that they take that into consideration? And most of the time, the child does have a stronger attachment to the mother because they spend a lot more time with it. Do, do you think that makes a, a big difference?
1: Um, look, every child is going to have a weakness towards their mother. That is something I strongly believe is inevitable because you have that human connection. Like my my daughter, no matter how many times I scold her or punish her or do anything, at night she's still going to come back to me and she's going to cuddle with me. Yeah, of course. Every child has this strange connection with their mother. Um, There are different circumstances, and I acknowledge those, and I agree with those. I would say there are exceptions, but I believe that the general rule is that every child wants to know who their mother is and wants that connection, wants that maternal connection with their mother,
0: See, as they do with the father as well. See, I I would disagree. I believe there is a physiological and psychological reason why, and an evolutionary reason why you need a maternal and paternal bond. But I think once you Mm -hmm. become self-sustained and, like, you know, mature enough to look after yourself, uh, when I say that, I mean, like, 12, 13 teenage age where you can, you know, like, do things for yourself, like go to the shops, you know, buy food, you know, not eventually, like, not vote or like work or anything like that, but when you can actually physically fend for yourself, um, I believe that paternal, yeah. maternal bond has gone away. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean m- myself, I have no paternal or maternal bond ever. Like, I mean, I, I never really had that growing up um, and I don't want to get too deep here because I'm not emotional about it at all. People um, honestly say like, wow, this is such an emotional story. But for me, there's no real like uh, connection to it. But, yeah, I mean, like, I, I never really met my real mother until I was, like, uh, 17. And even then, it was just, like, meeting a stranger that I never saw before. Um, I never felt that maternal bond. I, I never felt a maternal bond. The thing, the parents that, that, you, that you, raised me ever. Like, I think, like, I think it's I subjective. I I agree
1: with you. I, I, it's subjective, definitely. It is subjective. But here's the thing when you when you met your mother at that age did you want to meet her or did were you like nah i'm not really interested i haven't seen this woman in 17 years what difference is it going to make now did you want to meet your mother
0: i think i think it was out of necessity i i I think it was out of necessity i was like i I need to get this out you know i need to finally chapter and actually meet her and and see what this is about and once i did i was like i
1: think yeah, so I think that curiosity, that connection, no matter how big or small, was still there a little bit, wasn't it? Like you still wanted to know who she was. Whatever your reason might be, you still wanted to – anyways, this is really going back to you.
0: <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. No, I, I get again, what I was trying to say is like from a psychological perspective, because obviously that's my domain in, in what I'm – hopefully trying to work in in, in studying at the moment. Um, there is there is a, a strong evidence into maternal relationship and maternal bond, but there's almost mm-hmm. no studies on paternal bond, which is quite you know, which is again
1: which is exactly, I, exactly what you're don't
0: saying. You think yeah. No, a hundred percent because you know people people have this, this stigma of babies, you know, they've got to be with their mother, they've got to be with their mother. Um, you know, that's a story that, that yeah. every mother tells you that, you know, that their babies are attached to the hip, um, which, you know, we yeah. don't have enough data to say that that's true. You know, we can't say that that's scientifically true, true because we haven't researched the other side of it.
1: True. So, uh, I mean, look, we, you have been born with, w- women have been born with certain assets, you may say, that makes us, Develops that human. Look, even, I mean, if, if I'm going to talk like that, then I would say that God is sexist as well. Why did he give um, women breasts so they can breastfeed their child? And why didn't he give a man anything to to form a similar connection, a, a, a spiritual connection, a, a human being, a, a, a humane connection with his with, with his child? Why yeah. was, why is the purpose of man only to provide a sperm? You know, I mean, then then God is sexist as well, if he wasn't yeah, I mean, you look at it like that. But I mean, I I think the reason
0: why the mother produces breast milk and baby comes down to the evolutionary reason because you know men, generally speaking, are heavier set, have more muscles, and we're generally you know the protectors and hunters of the, of the group and their job was pure yeah i
1: mean we're talking about we're talking about you know the evolution of man here but yeah here's my question why was it created like that
0: no it brings a good point actually we're being why was it created like that
1: why was it why were we created where you know why why was there sexism from the very beginning why didn't they give a man that ability to have that bond with their child and some men do some men have beautiful bonds with their children you know sometimes it's even better than the mother i mean there are exceptional cases like that but originally speaking you know god made women to have that bond with their child Hmm, why was it made like that because it makes me think
0: yeah no it, It definitely does make you think and and you touched on the fact that there is a lot of female uh dominated industries i can definitely attest to that um like obviously um as i said before i study psychology and literally like 70 maybe even 80 percent of, of the students in my area of expertise are, are, are women um and i think it's yeah 80 clinical psychologists so um you know your traditional Sigmund for a lie down on the couch and talk about your feelings type of psychologist that everyone um, I so. Yeah,
1: I mean, wouldn't you say? League. Wouldn't you say there's a very large pop? You know, there's a very large percentage of female psychologists as compared to male psychologists.
0: Yeah, considerably, eighty-two percent to twelve uh, to eighteen percent. So
1: again, also- that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a female-dominated industry. Nobody talks about that.
0: Mm, yeah, and that's one of the things that I want to touch on um, in, in these podcast series is men's mental health because that's a that's a big that's a big passion of mine because one of the issues I think as well is because masculinity can be so toxic to men they don't feel like they can pour out their emotions to a woman because it 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 tarnishes their masculinity in a way um, and the underrepresentation of, of men in mental illness makes it difficult for them to be able to talk and try and relate their masculinity to someone. So it's sort of like shooting the own industry in the foot in a way, uh, which is quite frustrating yeah. because it's a problem that's not going to go away, um, you know, for, for many generations, because you mentioned previously with the judge, um, you know, his old school ideals in a case that's very subjective. Um, I'd like to believe in, in my generation or the generation for me, would be a lot more progressive and a lot more um, leftist towards those sort of things. So I think this- A lot, more,
1: a lot less gender bias. What's that? A lot less gender bias. I mean, today's industry, today's people are a lot less in gender biased than they were, you know, back in the 1950s.
0: Yeah, 100%. 100%. I, I think, I think when, when my generation and, and the children that are at high school now are in power, are judges. <laughs> Are lawyers? I like to think that that would be a lot more socially conscious because I think these issues aren't issues that would have been talked about twenty years ago or even fifteen years ago.
1: Oh, look, today's even in today's society, in today's world, there is gender bias. in In today's modern world, there is there is that gender bias. I don't even yeah. know how to use that word properly. It is it is still gender bias. I mean. Clothes, for example, when you go to school, high school kids, girls wear skirts, girls wear short skirts, Um, boys wear pants. Why is that? Because women are deemed to be children bearers, you know, so you make, there is that psychological aspect of making that very attractive to men. Why aren't girls wearing pants or anything like that or covering up the way men do?
0: Well I, I I don't think that's a that that's a, um, a governmental issue. I, I don't think they're purposely going you children should wear these um, skirts because it shows your hips. I mean that would be quite quite creepy for for us doing that. But I understand what you're saying in terms of the dress sense and the way the fashion industry is. Um, but yeah,
1: yeah I I, don't I mean think that's the sad the- women more more um, more desirable to a man why is our why is our industry like that well why that i would a, like to say I mean, you know i do like a man when a man wears nice clothes um i i do like that but why do we have that differences i mean it's it's a it's a strange strange topic to think about when you actually pinpoint other 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 things as well compared to mainstream ideas of sexism and stuff yeah. I like a, and a lot yeah. of people would disagree with this. A lot of people would disagree with me. A lot of people would be like, Oh my God, don't you you know, if if a woman bears her breasts and everything like shoulder cleavage, are you saying we're fluffs and whores and stuff? I'm like, I'm not. I'm not saying you're fluffs and whores. I'm saying that's how the fashion industry wants you to be. I'm yeah. not saying you are.
0: Yeah. I mean just touching on that quickly because I remember when I was at high school, and there was a lot of there was a lot of talks in health class and PhDHPE PD, about you know fat shaming, and you know obviously we were we were little high school boys, so you know we're just laughing it off and whatnot, and it wasn't even the teachers, you know, unfortunately, just really laughing it off. But now we're seeing we're seeing a lot of body body positive um, campaigns. We're seeing a lot of issues around, you know being beautiful by themselves instead of you know. Having this ideal woman that's forty kilos and looks like a Barbie doll, we're seeing
1: that change. Uh, Andrew, here you here you go again, here you go again. You are the the fashion industry, the these photographers who are doing all these campaigns and stuff. They're only concentrating towards women, and enforcing women to be body positive. How many campaigns do you see where it says that? men need to be body positive as well men need to be comfortable with that dad bod and with that pot belly and and, well not pot belly they what do they call it here um beer belly why is that not why is that not encouraged why aren't you saying hey you've got a beer belly be body positive that's who you are i think that that
0: is i think that is because you see a lot of advertisements um you know with just regular dad bods and you know that term has become really popular over the
1: years. And and, and I think like... that term has become it's it's I don't think it's become a body positive. I think it's become a source of comedy. I mean when we saw, you know, when in, in the last Avengers movie, when we saw Chris Hemsworth with that pop belly and stuff, did you laugh or did you say, Hey, good on you, mate. You're eating fried food and drinking beer all day. If that's what you want to do in life, that's what you do. Or did you laugh?
0: Yeah, but that's that's a health decision. You don't want to feel good for that character because that character is someone that strives himself on being the best. And seeing him let himself go like that is quite disappointing and upsetting. Which I think was the, the point of the change. I, I get what you're saying. But, I mean, we need to be yeah. really careful when we talk about body positive and things like that not to promote unhealthiness. It's, it's a very thin line between being body positive and then giving people an earnest to say, uh, you know, let your BMI get through as high as you want as long as you're comfortable with yourself. You know, it, it definitely does a lot yeah. of that. You know what I mean? Obesity is a big problem in Australia still. So it's such a fine line we need to walk between being body positive and letting people be happy in their own skin, but also managing the health conditions that can come from being over a certain weight. So it's it's where you draw the line, where you start. No,
1: I, I, I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying, and and there is obviously health concerns and things like that. But what I'm saying is, when you talk about body, you know, all these campaigns about body positive, it's still very much directed towards women. Nowadays, it's become that the, the aspect of men is 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 slowly emerging, but it's still very female dominated. That's another industry I would say it's very female dominated. Why aren't men encouraged to be body positive, to be the way they are? A lot of men have, you know, you want to talk about mental health issues, men's mental health issues. Maybe that's a big, big factor as well, that they're not, they don't feel that they're attractive. A lot of men go through midlife crises because of they, they've grown old or they've grown, you know, um, they're not as whatever I don't I, I really don't have I mean you know when men go through midlife crisis and stuff like that how do you get men out of that you know and, and a large part of it is, is to do with the way they look nobody addresses that issue hmm.
0: yeah because people are forgetting the underlying problems behind men's mental health is that the masculinity in the way that they see themselves and the way that they see other men is preventing them from, from mm-hmm. talking about their own feelings and preventing them from ultimately getting to the bottom of these problems, which is a, a big issue. And you're definitely right. It's almost non so to speak, for a guy to be, even the, lab, the label hetero heterosexual, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I
1: mean, you think, why do we have to term it? Why do we have to give it terminologies and definitions and stuff like that? If a man wants to go paint his... I'm uh, sorry, get a manicure and a pedicure, hey, man, you like looking after yourself. There's nothing wrong with that.
0: Right. So yeah. a heterosexual man, this is the definition, um, not my definition, of course, but um, this, is the, this is the definition of a heterosexual man. Someone who is sensitive to stereotype feminine interest and is very concerned with personal appearance, grooming and dressing stylishly. So someone... Stereotyped and labelled as someone different to the general population because they take care of their body and they take care of their look. So oh, I, I don't
1: think I don't think there's anything wrong in that. I don't think that should be that that should honestly I don't even think that should be a factor because there are a lot of women who who wake up in the morning and who get their hair done and put makeup on and and go go to work and stuff. I mean you don't see people giving that a label yeah, there's also exactly women what I'm saying who is,
0: like there shouldn't be a label for you
1: also there. Be, yeah there shouldn't be a label for anything mm. whether it's men or women or, or child or or you know cats or dogs or anything there should be no label uh, you, you don't call a woman who has her hair done and her makeup done and, and she's got the heels on and everything walk down the street and people go oh my god that is a um you know heterosexual woman but if you see a man <laughs> with a nice suit a slim fit suit and you know nice shoes and um, you know whatever it is that men do these days you go oh my god that's a heterosexual or a heterosexual man so isn't that sexism
0: no 100 and that's sexism that, that, that is not talked about really um it's not really explored because you know it's, it's an uncomfortable topic and it's a topic that people don't usually speak about because when they're speaking about men don't often associate or, or think about these stereotypes um mm-hmm. and definitely don't I, I i can attest you to that as well um no that, that, that that's great i mean um yeah i mean you mentioned like the law industry being predominantly um you know run by women um and like being sided with women in that, um, have you seen that a lot in, in your experience, or, or is this from, from case law, or um, do you just want to touch a bit? More um, on no, that?
1: Um, you actually, you, I mean, you're a bit wrong. I'm not saying that um, the law industry is heavily regulated by or oh, or oh, female dominated industry. I'm just saying right. there is there is right. that there, there is a part of of um, uh, the family law. That is still very female dominated, that is still very biased towards women. And, and there's still bits and pieces of, of that family law entire industry that is run by women. And it, it just leaves men out of the whole picture.
0: Mm, which can be dangerous for, 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 for so many, so many reasons. So many reasons. It's
1: not dangerous. It's also, I would say, it's also probably a cause of, of, of men's mental health issues. That they they can't, um, you know, they they can't get access to their child as much as they want to. There there are great fathers out there who who want to be close to their child, who want to be with their child, but because but because you know that the the system that they're going through is so female dominated, they don't have that ability. They don't have that access, and that's not fair. Mm,
0: yeah. And I mean, when we think of mental illness as a stigma or as a stereotype, we often think of you know, um, and this isn't me. This isn't from my personal view, of course, but you know, it, it's quite common amongst many studies and surveys that when people have to put a face to mental illness, they often think of a of a female crying, you know, the, the standard, you know, ice cream tissues, things like that, uh, with depression. But in fact, um, desperate suicide and, and serious depression like that. Uh, for men, it's actually three times higher than for women. So if we're actually putting a it
1: flag, is, I mean,
0: to Andrew, illness,
1: you're studying psychology. You're studying psychology. You would know that you know back in the 1920s or even prior to that, like in the 1800s and stuff. Um, what's what's that? What's that condition called? Where? um yeah, not hysteria.
0: Exactly. Yeah, you're thinking of um, uh, uh, hysteria. So yeah, it, I, I think you're touching uh, on the. Yeah,
1: his, hysteria was actually people said that that's, that only actually happens in, in women.
0: Yeah, so so for the audience, um to diagnose mental illnesses in a clinical perspective, um, psychologists use a book called the DSM five and you have to add certain symptoms um in order to be diagnosed with a condition. DSM five was extremely controversial because as you said, it did have hysteria and it did have one of the defining factors that only women um, could, could have hysteria, which hysteria ended up um, morphing into what is now uh, defined as bipolar disorder, um, which also used to be called depressive disorder, or mania, uh, which is another terrible, terrible name for it, but that's that's subject for another podcast. But, but yeah, we're putting a completely incorrect face and stereotype to something so serious. And, you know, we're mm-hmm. on the topic, really. We are really, really in society avoiding the topic because it's difficult to talk. Um, and and mm-hmm. I hope these things, these things can do. So, um, yeah, no, that that topic of, of sexism. I mean, is, it, is there anything you really want to want to wrap up in that um, before we move on to, to to the next topic? Any other defining points that, that you want to get out there?
1: Um, no, I think I think at at I mean, I, at the end of the at, at the end of it all, I I think. All I want to say is to, to everybody that can we can we can we bring back humanity into the world? Can we actually feel guilt when we hurt someone? Can we actually care about people around us? Can we feel that empathy? And that's, I think, the message that I want to put out there. I think when one human being cares about another human being, cares about their happiness and cares about everything, that's when us as people, us as a society will really flourish. Um, And I think that's the message that I really want to put out there. Can we start caring about other people? Can we actually feel guilt when we hurt others Um, or when, when, when something bad happens? Because I think people nowadays are not feeling guilty that that guilt element is is slowly diminishing um and i want to bring back humanity into this into into all of us i
0: i i like that i like that idea a lot because i've grown increasingly worried as i've gotten older and becoming more wiser as they say to, to to the world and what's going on around us and i've become increasingly worried with the amount of um i'm gonna get this word wrong and i can never pronounce it the amount of anom- anonymity, uh, <laughs> the amount of anonymous users now that can create such bad and they just have no, it, there's, there's nothing to fall back on them. So, you know, they go on Twitter and they say whatever they want, they cyberbully, um, and, and they do that with such earnest because they know it can be never pinned back on them. And they're creating so much negativity uh, in this online environment. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's, it's so toxic. And, you know, people just be like, oh, that's cool. You know, if you don't like Twitter, get off it. No, that's not the case. You wouldn't say if someone's bullying you in the workplace, if you don't like it, don't come to work. You shouldn't have to go online and see death threats or, you know, calling women the S word and and be told to get Mm -hmm. off Facebook or get off Instagram or don't post those photos. No one should be able to tell you how to use the internet no one should be able to, to, to justify your own meme because other people are saying terrible things it's just ridiculous and that's the state of society at the moment is people can get online and just say whatever the hell they feel with no real recourse about it um, and I really don't know how we how we go against that how we stop that how we adjust to that really it's it adds for quite a difficult
1: problem that future. Quite if you a difficult life. problem, but I think you know. Um, I mean, I'm I'm gonna steal this idea from a friend of mine. He he sees humanity in children, and he believes that the answer to humanity is with children. And I think he's right. Um, he he says that quite a bit. 'Cause I, I used to, I when me and my friend we used to have this conversation that I'm like, Oh, humanity human beings are lost, you know, they're 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 a gone cause. there's no point fighting for them and everything. He still saw hope in humanity and he saw that hope in children. And I think he's right. Children I, I love kids and I want to work in an industry where there's children, um, I love kids and, and I do I do see what he says. Children are, are innocent naive beautiful creatures um let's not call them creatures all this out of the mouth. um <laughs> children are beautiful beings that are just born so innocent born so caring they they honestly do hold the answer to to our this inhum not inhumanity this humanity problem but anyways, now we're getting really, really philosophical here. I don't think that was the point of so far. <laughs> that's, that's 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 definitely a, a great point that you
0: made. Um, no, that's 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 definitely wonderful. I mean, a, a lot of us, you know, see such innocence uh, and, and beauty in children. That yeah, I mean, we, we can take a lot of lessons from it, a lot of lessons. And I hope, I hope that the, the children that are growing up right now, um, you know, that we think about them and we make the right decisions for them, because you know one day they'll be making decisions. Um, and I think it will be a, a very, very different world when that is the case. Um, because I, I don't see a lot mm-hmm. of the problems still being around when the children of today are, are in power. I, I think we're doing the right things in activism, we're doing the right things in education, to be able to make sure that these children are as very, um, you wouldn't say conservative, that's not the right word to put it, but as very, um, Conscious about certain social issues because you know we are constantly mm-hmm. um, talking about it. That's why these media things, um and, and I'm not, you know, um, I'm not pissing in my own pocket so to speak. But you know, that's why these, that's why these um, interviews and, and podcasts are so important. Is because you know, if only 20 people listen to it and then you know 20 people make that, that conscious change or you know think about these issues that we've talked about, um, then that makes that makes a huge difference. Um, all right. all right well um yeah so thank you very much for your time and, and and coming on It was definitely great speaking to you about uh no
1: problem and, thank great. you so much Andrew.
0: and um yeah I, i'm sure the listeners are going to love this um and yeah i mean this is you oh, i'm sorry yeah is, is there anything that you want to end with oh.
1: um no that's i think I'll, i'd like to end with the 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 most common thing that people say but i think it's absolutely true let's to spread more love and and not hate. Um, that's all I just want to say. Hmm, wonderful,
0: wonderful, that was great. Um, thank you very much. I'd love to have you on again sometime. Um, and yeah, thank you very oh, much thank for being you. your very very first guest uh, on my new show.
1: Yay! Wonderful. Yay, I'm, I'm excited. I'm I'm excited for you, and I really do wish the best for you, and, and hope that you know you have a thriving podcast and lots of. Um, <laughs>
0: I don't think I'm going to be turning into Joe Rogan anytime soon, but you know, here's hoping.
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, like, awesome. Yeah,
0: thank you very much for that, and um, and yeah, I hope.